Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. Good morning. Hey. <laughs> so this morning, we're going to continue on in our sermon series in the letter to the church in Colossae. If you don't know me, my name is Joel. I'm one of the elders. And as Jeremy mentioned, Trey is on sabbatical this month or this summer. And so you're going to be hearing from all the elders throughout the summer. We're all going to get up. We're going to help uh, just walk through this, this letter to the church in Colossae. And so, as we've gone through, hopefully so far you've been picking up some of the themes that are running throughout this, this letter. And if I were to tell you that there was a single theme running throughout the book of this book to the church in Colossae, I would say that it would have, I would say it would be that Jesus is Lord over all things. That he's reconciled all things to himself. And my hope is, and I think the hope of all the elders this summer is, that as we walk through this letter, we internalize this truth that it flows practically into our lives. So this morning, we're going to kind of zero in on the faith that we have received and how we should be rooted and built up in that faith. So let me go ahead and pray for us, and we're going to jump in. Father God, we thank you that you are good and gracious to us, your people. We thank you for this beautiful morning that it's not too hot yet, that we can meet together and rejoice in your word. We can let it wash over us. We pray that the words that Paul and Timothy wrote to the church in Colossae so long ago, that you, Spirit, will make them relevant to us, that you will work in our minds, showing us your truth, and that you will work in our hearts, drawing our affections toward you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and our King. Amen. So, so far, Paul and Timothy have done a few things in this letter to the church in Colossae. If you remember back, kind of to the very beginning, they went through, they introduced themselves, they encouraged the Colossians, said how they were praying for the church in Colossae, and then uh, in chapter 1, starting in verse 15, they kind of throw this beautiful language at us about who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, they talk about Jesus being fully God. Then they go through and they declare how Jesus being fully God has reconciled all things to himself, that he has gone through and he has uh, changed us who are alienated from God into people that are redeemed by him. They, they explain Paul's ministry, mystery of Christ revealed, and then we get kind of to where we're at this morning uh, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. So that's what we've, we've checked through so far. And our passage this morning actually builds, surprisingly, off of what Paul and Timothy have said so far. Because this is one cohesive letter written to be preached to a church all at once. And so we should expect that these things are building on one another. So this morning's verse... Verses passage rests specifically on chapter 2, verse 4 that we read last week. And that says, 
I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So it seems it's like something was going on in the church in Colossae. Paul and Timothy were writing this letter to the church for a specific reason. There was some sort of false teaching that was cropping up. Something that people were told to trust in other than Jesus and his gospel. So it was something either more than Jesus or something other than Jesus that the people in Colossae were being told to trust in. And Paul and Timothy together are writing this letter to the church to combat this false teaching. And really what Paul and Timothy, as we're going to see, are doing, are they're saying, hold fast to the teaching that you have received. Hold fast to what you have heard, what was originally proclaimed to you through our brother Epaphras. So, I'm going to read this passage for us this morning, and I want you to listen for that. Listen to Paul and Timothy calling on the church in Colossae to remember what they received, what they heard. So this is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. This is the word of the Lord. Did you hear it? Did you hear Paul and Timothy exhorting the church, exhorting the Colossians, hold fast to what you received, calling on them for faithfulness to the gospel, trusting in what they've been taught? Honestly, I think this passage is actually, it's actually pretty easy to sit by as we're reading through the entire letter. You have this amazing description of Jesus in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, where we're talking about he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created. Paul goes on and on and on, listing off who Jesus is, that he is fully God. And we get to this kind of this mountaintop through this creed or hymn that Paul is reciting. And we're like, yeah, that's amazing. And then later on, what we'll come to soon in chapter 3, starting in verse 5, is Paul starts like hitting home. Okay, you want to know how you should be living the Christian life? I will give you lists of rules. And he says, this is what the practical Christian life looks like when you're falling after Christ. And so sandwiched in between these two powerful passages is what we're reading this morning. Here in the middle of the letter, 
we come across something that might seem rather unimportant to us. But I think in this passage in particular, we see the verses that the rest of this letter is hinging upon. They're the entire reason that Paul and Timothy are writing this letter. They are the goal that they have for the church in Colossae. And I would also say that within this passage, we see God's goal for us through this letter. Let's hone in on verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul lays out the calling for all Christians, both for the Colossians and for us. And to understand this passage, we need to ask some good questions about what Paul and Timothy are writing. The first one is, what is this teaching that they've received? So it says, just as you were taught, just as you have received Christ Jesus, what is this teaching? What's this teaching about Christ Jesus the Lord? Paul is pointing back to the very beginning of this letter, and he's actually pointing back in history, reminding the Colossians of what they have received. What was received? Well, if you remember, the very first week, we kind of talked about the background of what was going on in the church in Colossae. So the Colossian church was originally planted by a guy named Epaphras. So Epaphras, he had gone to Ephesus, another city, where Paul stayed for two to three years, teaching and preaching and planting a church. And Epaphras came there, he heard the good news, the gospel, and he said he trusted this gospel, he trusted this good news, trusted Jesus as Lord, and he was really excited about it. And he went back home to his home city of Colossae, and he planted the church there. And so he took what he received from Paul, and went on, taught it to the church in Colossae, and they received this gospel. We actually get a glimpse of this at the very beginning of the letter. So in chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, it says this. We, Paul and Timothy and Epaphras with them, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So the Colossians, they received this gospel, they trusted in its hope, they listened to the word of truth, and they understood the grace of God. Great, but when we read the word gospel, good news, that it was received, what do we mean? What is this good news that Paul is talking about? In classic Pauline style, he likes to drop little nuggets of the gospel throughout all of his letters, and his letter to the Colossians is no different. So, in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we read, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus' kingdom is established, 
And that God in love has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness, of Satan, of death and disease, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And we have redemption through Christ, forgiveness of our sins, and we have been established in this kingdom. Or, in chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, he writes, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We were once separated from God. We were once alienated from him in relationship. We were hostile to him. We were doing things against his will. And yet God, through Christ, through Jesus' death and resurrection, has reconciled us, made us right in relationship with him, and presented us holy and blameless. Or chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, the passage that we're reading this morning. And you, who, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We were dead. We had no hope. And yet, God came made us alive with Christ in his resurrection, canceled all of our sins, all of our debt, and we are now established because it was nailed to the cross. We see over and over again, just in Paul's letter, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the teaching that the church, both us, the Colossians, all Christians have trusted in. This is the teaching that was received. This is the teaching in which we stand. So Paul is saying, as you receive Christ Jesus, as you heard this good news, this teaching about Jesus, so long ago from Epaphras, and once again from us, so walk in Jesus. In essence, you haven't progressed beyond this gospel. This is the whole truth. This is everything that needs to be understood. It hasn't changed. Nothing needs to be added to it. There isn't any additional knowledge or magical revelation here. Remember what you have heard. Trust in Jesus' work. In his life, his death, his resurrection. Declare that he is Lord. This is the same for us. You and I are called to trust in this gospel. To trust in this king who has established his kingdom who is Lord over all creation, who has redeemed us, who has reconciled us, and who has bought us back. If we hear anything that is contrary to this, anything that is gospel plus, it's to be rejected. So you say, cool, that's great. I like it. But aren't there things that we should care about? or pursue, or do, or seek after because of the gospel. And to that I say, of course. Of course. Paul, in the second half of his letter, is going to spend a whole bunch of time outlining what does the Christian life look like? What are things that we should lay aside? Sins that will snare us. And what are good things that we should be pursuing in the life of, in the life of Christ that we have? It's all going to be there. But these actions that he's going to list later on aren't done because of the gospel. 
because Jesus is our Lord, then we're just pursuing what we think is right. Whatever makes sense to us, whatever we think is good, instead of what God declares good for our lives because Christ is our Lord. If Jesus is Lord over us, when we accept this teaching, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has to change how we live, how we work, everything that we do. So Paul's going through, he's reminding Colossians and us of this gospel that has been trusted. And he said, he says, if you've accepted this, this gospel, if you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, or if you said, or if you say it in a different way, if you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, then this should be true of your life. But what does that actually mean? So we've talked about the gospel, this thing that we trust in, but what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord over us? You may think that this is kind of a strange distinction to be making because, you know, Jesus is Lord over all things. But we can subtly kind of shift our focus. We say, yeah, I really like that Jesus saves me from my sins. I really like that he's delivered me out of the domain of darkness into into the kingdom of his beloved son. I like all these things. But, you know, this Jesus is Lord thing, just part and parcel with it. And I would say... It's a very cavalier way to handle the God who has saved us. Every single week when we go through and we we do our offering liturgy, we say a few things. We say that we are called into God's kingdom as his people. If we declare Jesus as Lord, if if we have received him, everything that we are, everything that we do, every part of our lives is his. When we talk about Jesus being Lord, and when Paul talks about Jesus being Lord in this letter, he's doing the exact same thing. He's saying everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we are must be in accordance with Jesus' commands. We are to follow after the life that he now commands us because he is our Lord. That means that where we spend our money, our time, what we teach our kids, how we study in school, how we work for our employer, what we think about cultural issues, what we think about political issues, Everything must be in light of Jesus being our Lord. And we must look at everything in regard to his commands for us as believers, as his people. And not just what we think he says, but what he has really said or commanded through his word, through the Bible, his teaching to us. And so that's what Paul is getting at when he says, so walk in him. Either Jesus is actually Lord over our lives, and our lives reflect that, and we conform to what we find in Scripture, the parts we like and the parts we don't like, or else something else is actually Lord of our lives, and we have not trusted in the good news. So what displays his lordship over our life? Let me ask you a few questions. First, what takes up most of your thoughts? Is it how do I honor the Lord with my wealth, as Proverbs 3, 9 asks? Or is it, eh, you know, I just need some more money some thing, and things, so I'm happy and I'm content? Or are you asking this question? How do I bring up my children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, as Ephesians 6, 4 talks about? Or is it, you know, I want my children and my family, I want us to be happy and comfortable and protected. Like, that's, that's really what's important. Or is it, how do I work for my employer as for the Lord and not for men, as, as we'll see later in Colossians? Or is it, 
you know, I'm going to focus on my career, climb the corporate ladder, and I'm going to pursue success? Or is it, how do I honor God through love and service to others, as Galatians 5.13 talks about? Or is the question more, you know, why aren't people doing more things for me? Why aren't people reaching out to me? Why aren't people serving me? Or how do I meet together and encourage other believers in the Lord, as Hebrew 10, 25 exhorts? Or are we more of the mindset of, you know, I'm going to go to show up at church if I feel like it, or if there aren't other things going on, or if it doesn't get in the way. I want you to know that as I was making that list this week, I was like, ugh! Ah! These questions about Jesus' lordship over our lives aren't just for, man, maybe I should think about this throughout the week, but it's things that we should be wrestling with on a regular basis. Because when Jesus is truly Lord, when we have accepted this gospel of his life, death, and resurrection, our focus all of our life has to be on him. How do we honor him with our lives? How do we obey his commands? In John 14, 15, Jesus specifically says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is hard. Brothers and sisters, as we honestly evaluate our lives and ask, have I trusted this truth? Is Jesus Lord over my life? It's going to cause us to do some digging, and that's okay. That's good. Paul, in his letter, is assuming that the, the people that he's writing to, the church in Colossae, that they've received this teaching of the gospel, and he encourages them, walk in it, not because you're perfect, but because you need to keep this reminder in front of you that Jesus is Lord. Trust in this gospel. Trust in this good news. When Paul starts talking about these lists of things to do, these commands that he has, it's not because he wants to give a list of how do you make yourself acceptable before God, but he wants them to see and trust and savor that the Lord is good and that they should walk after him. So that's what Paul goes on to say. If Jesus is Lord over all of us, if we walk in him, then we should be rooted and built up in him. He gives us these two different pictures of the Christian life. The first is to be rooted in Christ, rooted in Him. It's the picture of the Christian as a tree. So at the end of last year, we moved into a new house. And I love it because the back of our house faces a whole bunch of woods. Before, I was just looking into my neighbor's back, you know, back windows. But I love that now we get to look at these trees, and they're beautiful. They're huge. They're old. And when a huge thunderstorm rolls through, I love to look out the windows, and the trees are just standing there. They're not even moving. I can see all the branches looking around, but the, the trees, the trunks, they're just standing there, rooted, tall, solid, unmoving. And that's the picture that Paul is giving us of the Christian life for those that receive Christ Jesus as Lord. It's a life with roots that go down deep. In where we're trusting this knowledge of Jesus, his gospel, so that when the winds of life whip around, or the winds of various teaching whips around, that we stay firmly planted in Christ our Lord. He switches up the imagery. He says, 
that we are like a building. He says, we're built it up in Him, in Christ. I don't know if you've ever seen a really, really, really old building. Um, a few years ago, I had the great opportunity to go over to Scotland, and I walked through Stirling Castle. It's one of the um, best-maintained castles over in Scotland. It stood for close to a 1,000 years, which is a pretty long time if you think about it. That doesn't happen by mere chance. As I was walking through, I was looking at the foundations of some of these buildings and how enormous they were, and how enormous the stones they were using for some of these foundations. Nothing there was hastily thrown together. Instead, it was the result of building a firm, solid foundation on good material. And that's what Paul is pointing us to. We should be built up in our knowledge of Christ, rooted in our understanding of Christ, established in the faith so that we're firm and steadfast in the truth, that he is Lord over our lives by his life, death, and resurrection. So I feel like we can mine these verses for a lifetime. I was told I was only allowed to preach for a couple hours, so I'll move on. Yeah, that was a joke. Don't worry. We're not going to be here for a few hours. So Paul moves on and he addresses why. Why am I writing to, why is he writing to the church in Colossae about being rooted, built up, established in the faith? Why is it important for the Colossians and by Colorary? Why is it important for us? It seems someone's been trying to get the Colossians to trust in something different, something other than the gospel of Jesus as Lord. That gospel was first received by Epaphras, who received it from Paul, who was passed on to the church in Colossae. Paul writes in verses 8 through 10, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Someone is trying to get the Colossians to trust in something other than Christ. Human traditions, something was luring the Colossians away from the gospel. And just like the Colossians, we too can be taken captive, captive by things other than Christ, other than his gospel, other than this good news. I remember a few years ago, um, a close friend stopped coming to church. Stopped meeting with other Christians, and I started wondering, why? What's going on? And so I, I called him up, and I said, hey, can we meet? So we sat down, and we started talking. And he told me that he had backed away from community and Christian fellowship because he had been listening to some teaching from some other people, and he said, you know, this is at odds with, with what I hear in the Bible, and honestly, I need to figure out what I believe about these cultural issues, uh, and... And I need to figure that out on my own. Um, I was heartbroken when I heard that. Because what I had heard from, from, this, from this guy, who I loved and I cared for, was that there were issues that were more important than the lordship of Jesus over his life. As I said before, either Jesus is Lord over all of us, or Jesus is Lord over none of us. So Paul says, cling to what you have learned, what you originally trusted in. Remember that Jesus is fully God. In him, all the fullness of God dwells. Trust in his rule, his authority, his calling on our lives. And this supersedes any other philosophy, 
creed, tradition, political ideal, social movement. As we discern the commands of our Lord, we do it not by listening to the random voices around us, but thinking back to the truth that we've been rooted in, built up in, looking to the word of God, the faith that we have received, and rightly understanding it in the context of Christian community, the local church. This is why it's important that we meet together regularly to understand God's word, to allow the community of faith, the community of Jesus, to build up in us these solid foundations. So Paul finishes this section by reminding us of what God has done for us and how he has made Jesus our Lord by uniting us with him. So verses 11 through 15 say, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He discerned the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul reminds the Colossians that they are part of God's people, not through physical circumcision, not like the Jewish people, but instead they've been pulled into the new covenant, a covenant where the circumcision is of the heart, where God is at work and alive in us, not by human tradition. God is doing something spiritual and inward in the lives of the people who have received Jesus as Lord. We identify with Jesus as Lord in baptism. It's identification with his death and his resurrection. And it's through this identification with Jesus that we are made alive, forgiven. Our debt is paid. Paul reminds us that through Jesus and his work on the cross, he is Lord over all things, Lord over our lives. This is the teaching that both we and the church in Colossae received. This is the gospel. This is what we are called to be rooted and built up in. So, with that, I have a few questions I'd like you to be asking yourself this week. And I encourage you, think about the honest answers to them. The first one, do you see Jesus as Lord of your life? Are there any philosophies, creeds, traditions, political ideas, social movements that have crept in and gained authority over you in place of Jesus as Lord? And the second question, how am I being rooted and built up in the faith? How am I wrestling through these questions within the the context of the Christian community? Our God is good and gracious He's calling us to repentance and faith in Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you are good to us. That you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. We thank you that the gospel has been preached to us and that we have heard it, that we have received it, And we pray, Spirit, that you work in our hearts and our minds so that every 
area of our life will be given over to the Lordship of Christ. We pray this not in our own power, but in the power of the Spirit who enlivens and quickens us to trust, to hope, and to endure in faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who has saved, has redeemed, and has restored us. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.